Welcome to London Riverside Church Podcast. We hope you have a great day. Sit back, relax and enjoy. I'm really excited about hearing God's word today and what we're about to hear. Uh, We have a guest speaker with us. Actually, our guest speaker was with us yesterday. We have our leadership development path, and uh, we had the morning uh, three sessions here yesterday morning, which was absolutely brilliant. So that's why I'm already already inspired. Uh, But I want to thank Paul and Lynn Gibbs for being with us. They come all the way from Texas. Uh, but via Manchester, as you're about to find out, okay? Now, uh, I met Paul uh, quite some time ago now. In the 90s, I was serving in Scotland, involved in the regional youth work there as part of Assemblies of God, and Paul uh, was in Manchester at the time. And we would have these things called regional youth director's days. Uh, it sounds very really fancy, but basically, we'd get together, encourage each other. Have Sometimes we used to play football, and uh, we did it. We actually did play football as well, didn't we? Uh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, anyway, I... Reminisce. What I'm trying to say is this. Back in the day, uh, we were all inspired by what Paul was up to in the schools in Manchester in a thing called Pace. Uh, but he's going to share a little bit about that today because it's grown into a worldwide movement and discipling and releasing young adults into their calling, uh, thousands every year. And it's very, very exciting. And so I just know what he's got in his heart. I want, I'm asking you as pastor here to, to open up your heart and mind. Uh, to what's going to be shared, what's going to be imparted to us today, I really believe it's going to do us good. So can we welcome Paul? Uh, give a warm dagger welcome. Come on. I just, can I just say, I love the, I love, this tells you something about this man. He did not use the steps to get on the platform. <laughs> saw that. That's right. Good morning. It's really good to be here and uh, really happy. Fantastic time with Galwin and Sarah. Just wonderful hospitality. You guys seem like a lively bunch of people, so hopefully we'll have a good morning. Are uh, you having a good time so far? Yeah. Excellent, good. Okay, so yes, so we've talked about uh, discipleship, and that's what we're going to talk about today. But I'm going to start a little bit with my story. Um, I was born with asthma and eczema, and I was born into a family that um, was not particularly religious. Um, and when I was 13 years old, my skin became septic, so I had yellow pus on my arms and my legs. I had to lie in a bath at night so that when my bandages came off, my skin wouldn't peel off. It was really painful. And around that time, there was a school teacher who would advertise what you and I would probably call a tent crusade. And some of the boys from my school had gone and come back with all these weird stories about people praying and having their hands up and singing in this tent. But they'd also seen some miracles and some healings. And one of the boys said, Paul, you should go because you're a bit like a cripple. So I went on the last night and gave my life to Jesus, and the first time I went to church, I heard um, the message, and the message was, you don't need to go to a priest, you can pray directly to God. And so I did. I prayed directly to Jesus, I prayed directly to God, and within a week, all the septic stuff had disappeared, and my eczema disappeared and never returned, which is fantastic. So this was... This was good news, and it was bad news. I thought, this is good news because it means that God is real, the Bible is true, and heaven is a reality. Fantastic. It's bad news because I realized the devil is real, the Bible is true, and hell is a reality as well. And I really wanted to tell people about Jesus. So I thought I was going to go and be a missionary, and then God clearly told me to stay or go back, actually, to Manchester. And opportunities started to open for me to go into schools and to reach young people, which was amazing. Um, the problem was that young people were interested in finding more about God, 
but they wouldn't go to church unless there was someone there they knew. Now, I believe that vision comes from an awkward conversation with God. The more you keep asking God awkward questions, and the more you allow him to ask them back, the more the vision becomes clearer. So initially, I thought it's about going to schools, and then I realized, no, it's about recruiting these young people and helping them be part of God's kingdom. And so what I did was I thought, you know what, I need to uh, make a difference here. Oh, this is not working. don't know if we can change that. That would be fantastic. Um, I decided, well, what I need to do then is to reach into schools and to um, see these young people come back. And because we're in different parts of the city that I couldn't be in, I recruited my first ever team. And uh, this is me in the middle, arms folded, looking really smug, feeling really good because I'm thinking, wow, we've done it. The vision is a reality. Each one of us went into different schools and acts as a relational bridge between the school and the church. But God, of course, is a little bit sneaky. He never shows you what the end is in mind. And so 30 years later, and uh, we have this free apprenticeship. We offer this gap year, this free apprenticeship to young people, 18 to 30 usually, and we train them in communication, and we train them in leadership, in discipleship, in all manner of things. And we give them free uh, training, free accommodation, and free meals, put them in uh, teams together. So we started in England, uh, but now we're in these uh, countries around the world, which is fantastic. Just a few quick stories for you. So these pictures are pre-COVID. So obviously COVID really hit us hard and we're rebuilding now. But just to give you an idea, uh, these are the young people who graduated after a year of going into schools and reaching young people that we trained. Uh, this was in the UK. Uh, this is a picture in Ghana. These young people look like they are studying the Bible, but in reality they're studying how to teach others the Bible and how to lead a Bible study. Um, this is a young lady. She was discipled by one of our teams in Brazil. She eventually became a Christian, and then she decided to do what we did, and so she began to go into the favelas with the Pays team and reach the young people in those favelas. This is in Islamabad, Pakistan. We had a school, a Muslim school, call us to complain that we were not in their school and we were in another school down the road, which was really amazing how the schools there have opened up to us. This is in Germany where young people would come on Pays and the German government was so... I don't know, I guess they, they really affirmed what we were doing and, and the way the teaching we were doing. Uh, so they would sponsor the young people to come, which was uh, fantastic and reach uh, other young people. My favorite story is probably this one because this is Clem on the right. Clem is from India, trained in the UK, went back to India, said to his pastor, I really want to try this new methodology in our youth group. The pastor said, oh, that's just a that discipleship stuff. It's just an American thing. It's an English thing. And he said, no, it's a Jesus thing. So his pastor said, I'll give you six months. It went so well, the pastor literally gave him a wife. And they had an arranged marriage, and she's called her nanny, and now they lead pays in India. So if you've got a young man at home you're trying to get rid of, just send him to me. I'll get him all loved up. We'll get him on the mission field. Jobs are good. Un. So this is Clem. He goes into schools, reaches young people, and then, of course, he works in church, helping making missionaries and discipling young people there. So this has kind of taken uh, myself and my wife, the Foxy Lynn, a little bit by surprise. We weren't planning this. This happened over the last 30 years. And so one of the questions that's been at the back of my mind is this. Why did God make me below average? I am 
naturally below average in every area you could think of, artistically, academically. Academically, I wasn't that great. I wasn't really interested, if I'm honest. Artistically, when you were at school and you did art, you got numbers, didn't you? Like seven out of 10, eight out of 10. I got questions, what is this question mark, literally. Um, I was um, infamously the ugliest baby ever born in the Gibbs family. And uh, so when I was little, um, I was born in the 60s, and so in those days, when babies were born, every day they'd have a thing where the mum would be in the, the bed and the, the baby would be in the cot at the bottom at the foot of the bed and the proud dad would be there and there'd be Rosalie's babies and they'd let all the, all the families come in. And apparently my dad tells me, when my grandmother came to visit me, she walked through the door, she went, hello Doris, hello, hello Peter, is this Paul? Oh. <laughs> and she looked at them and she looked at me and she looked at them and she didn't say a word. And then she apparently picked me up, it's a true story, she took me to the window, looked at me just to double check what she was seeing was really happening, and then she put me back, didn't say a word, looked at that baby and went, oh, this one's nice. That's what she said to my parents. That's how infamously ugly I was. I also got kicked out of school when I was six years old because I have a slight speech impediment. Sometimes my brain doesn't work the way you'd expect it to work when I'm saying things. So I slur my words. I, I get things in the wrong order. I don't finish sentences. Probably happened today at some point. Um, and, and so I was sent to a school for elocu elocution, movement, and dance lessons. But because I bit all the girls, I got expelled when I was six years old. And when you look at those teeth, you realize they're basically weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> so I was kicked out of school. So I never got fixed, basically. And so one day I was in school, and I was, um, I was doing this assembly. And it went quite well. So the, the headmaster said, hey, Paul, maybe you could lead us in the Lord's Prayer. Well, even now, like I could teach you things about the Lord's Prayer that even if you've been a Christian a long time, you might not know. But if you ask me to say the Lord's Prayer in the right order, 50-50 chance I'll remember it. So I'm thinking, okay, I'll give it a go. I'm up for the challenge. So I, I thought, what I'll do is I'll, I'll say it slowly, because the kids will know it. So they'll say it, and they'll remind me what the next verse is. That makes sense? Genius plan. So I slowed down. I started, our Father. And then they went, they went um, who, are in, and, oh, who are in heaven? But as I slow down, they slow down. It got really bad. And I thought, oh, this is not working, so I need to be quieter. If they can't hear me, they won't hear me. So I got really quiet. Guess what happened? They got really quiet. It was an absolute, complete train wreck. It was awful. I'm looking at them. They're looking at me. Everybody's asking what just happened. And then there was a slow hand clap as the headmaster walked from the back. To me, he did not look happy. He had tears in his eyes and his slow hat. And he gets to me and goes, Paul, that was amazing the way you made us think about every single word and ponder it nobody's ever thought about doing that ever before I'm like it's just the way I roll <laughs> but what, what I realized was I'm naturally not gifted at anything so why would God give me what I consider to be the most important job in the world 94% of Christians become Christians by the age of 18 and they're all, most of them, in schools. And someone else has paid the gas, the electric, and someone else has bought the building. There is no more important job, in my opinion, in the world than mine. So why give somebody so below average? And one day I was recording a video, and something came out of my mouth. It was kind of hyperbole, but it hit me. And I said, I wasn't planning on saying it, but I said, you know what? I spend 10% of my time 
thinking, how can I do what I do better? And 90% of my time thinking, how can I get other people to do what I just did? And suddenly, what occurred to me was this. The answer came, God created me below average to help average people do above average things. Because if you're really, really good at something, sometimes it's hard. If you're just naturally good to hand that on to someone. But because I know I'm not very good, I've had to learn everything I do, which means anybody can do what I do. Anybody can do what I do. I can tell you some horrific stories about when I first started preaching, but we don't have the time. So one of my questions is, is what is your capacity for discipleship? Who are you discipling? Who are you training in the things that God has gifted you to do? If you imagine, as a schools worker, I was like a 7 out of 10. I was able to reach about 10,000 young people a year, which is good, but I could integrate less than 10 into local church. But when I switched to realizing I needed to disciple people and recruit them and train them in what I did, well, now we can reach millions and we've integrated thousands over the year, or the years, I should say. So what, what is God doing through you? You know, there are certain questions that get asked. Why do people in church not disciple others? And in a recent survey, in third place was this answer. I just haven't thought about it. I just haven't thought about discipling someone else. Can I suggest that's because we have the wrong religion? There's the religion Jesus witnessed, and there's the religion Jesus wanted. So there are two types of Christianity. And before that, there were two types of Judaism, two ways of connecting with God. Both types of Christianity are Christianity. There's what we call Christian-centric. And to be Christian-centric is to pursue our vision, do it God's way, so we get what we want. I'm going to make sure I don't do something wrong. I'm going to make sure I do the right thing in order that God blesses me. And Jesus said, don't be like the pagans, don't do this. Don't be like the pagans, they're basically using their gods to get what they want. And yet today, there are so many books in Christian bookshops or online you can get that teach us Christian-centric Christianity. Tithe, because if you tithe, God will give you more. Well, maybe he will, maybe he won't. And then there's kingdom-centric to be kingdom-centric, to seek first the kingdom of God, is to pursue God's kingdom, do it God's way, so we give him what he wants. And what does he want? He wants souls. He wants young people who right now are on a path to destruction to be converted, changed, redeemed, and to be on a path to life. Correct? And you and I are part of that. Part of that plan. Part of that process. In second place... The second biggest reason people don't disciple, apparently, is that no one has suggested or asked me. And that's because we preach not the wrong gospel, but not the full gospel. Our Christian-centric gospel is this. Jesus came to rescue you. Well, no, he didn't. Did he rescue us? Absolutely. But he came instead to recruit us. And along the way... He rescued us, because how could darkness bring light, right? But Jesus came to recruit you. Do you know why you exist? The basic fundamental reason why you exist is this. You exist because God did not have anybody exactly like you. And he wanted someone exactly like you, with your personality. Your character he wants to develop, but your personality is exactly what he wanted it to be. 
You are completely unique. That means you think differently. You have a slightly different talent, a different way of doing things. And God has come to recruit that, to rescue because he loves you and recruit you. So are you Christian-centric predominantly or are you kingdom-centric? It's not a matter of how much God loves you. It's a matter of how much you love God. Do you live to give him what he wants? And what he wants is souls. So we have our gifting, which is fantastic. But listen, your gifting, just how they ever talked about gifting? Your gifting is just nuance, really. You're called to disciple people. What God has taught you, you're supposed to train others in. And your gifting is just maybe the best way you can do that. So pays is not my calling. I wasn't called to start pays. I was called to make disciples. It's just that 30 years ago, I had a good idea called pays. I've not had a better idea since, to be honest. But pay, I don't think God's interested in pays. God's interested in his kingdom. And if pays serves his kingdom, fantastic. In first place, I don't think I'm qualified or equipped and we do need to be equipped. And we were talking yesterday that 82%, I think it was, or 81% of churches in America have no discipleship program at all. And when they do say discipleship, what they mean is, if you're a man, someone takes you to Starbucks, you read the Bible, and then they ask you some really awkward accountability questions. But discipleship is taking people on your journey, as we'll talk about in a moment. Rabbis had two types of people. They had students. Students would go and listen to a rabbi and write down what the rabbi said and decide which bits they liked and applied it to their lives. A disciple would follow a rabbi and be with a rabbi and learn everything from the rabbi in order that they could do what the rabbi did. If we're to align, if you're to align yourself to God's kingdom, you cannot simply embrace attributes of God. You have to em embrace the absolutes of God. And so my question is, are you a student of Jesus or are you a disciple for Jesus? Are you reproducing what God has invested in you by training other people in what you do? And how do you do that? How can we be equipped? Well, yesterday we, we gave templates and practical skills. Today, just for the last um, 13 minutes, I'm going to give you three principles that might help you. Hopefully you already are thinking through what it is that you can do. Number one, we need to go beyond education to experience. It says, in fact, I don't think I've read the passage. Let me read the passage. I'm sorry, I'll just skip that. Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always till the very end of the age. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And boy, did they know it? Why? Because he said it? No, because they saw it. They saw the wind and the waves calm down. They saw the lepers and the blind and the mute being healed. They saw, they experienced it. They experienced it. What experience can you take people on, whether they're Christians or not, if they're leaning forward towards God? 
What is it you do to advance the kingdom of God? Um, these are the three questions I want to ask. What are you doing to advance the kingdom of God? What is your, what is your primary gift? What's the most effective thing you can do? may not be what I can do. may not be the, thing, the person that's next to you. What's the most thing you can do to advance God's kingdom? In other words, to see more people come to know him and get closer to him. Secondly, how do you do that? Have you ever taken the time to write those things down? Or has it become just about your ministry? Because discipleship is one of the most selfless things you can do. Because you're making it less and less about you. And one of the hindrances to discipleship is people like to do their ministry. I like my ministry. I like serving in this way. I like, I like being in the band. I like doing hospitality. Wherever it might be, I like, I like preaching. Wherever it might be. But if I'm selfless, I'm thinking less about my ministry and more about his mission. And if I think about his mission, I need to multiply what God does in me in others. Does that make sense? So what is your what? And how do you do it in others? How are, what are the things God's taught you? The spiritual principles and the spiritual practices that God has taught you. And then finally, who is it that you can disciple? The best way of doing that is not by going and choosing people, but by letting people know you're available. You know, even at the info desk, Galen has given me permission to say, if you want to go to the info desk and say, hey, this is what I do to advance God's kingdom, and I'm willing to disciple other people in this, please do that. We'll take a note of you. We'll contact you this week. And we can let people know. The best way of choosing disciples is not for you to choose them. It's for, for you just to let people know you're available and for them to come and ask, will you disciple me in this? One of the things about experience that I think is really important and really key is this idea of experience and taking people on a journey. And when I was living in Manchester, we had a Lund Poly shop. I love Lund Poly because it always had coconut smells. And we're from Manchester, right? So it's not, it's not that touristy, if I'm really honest. So you kind of walk in. You're in Manchester. You walk in, and suddenly you're in Barbados. It was amazing. Oh, this is wonderful. And then somebody would come up to you and say, hey, you should go somewhere. They might say, you should go to Paris. So, and here's, here's a book. Here's a guidebook. Here's some lovely pictures about Paris. And here's what we've heard about Paris. And here's, here's the instructions of how to get to Paris. You should go to Paris. That's a travel agent, right? A tour guide says... I'm going to Paris next week. Do you want to come with me? And, and as you come with me, as you're with me, you're going to have questions, and I'm going to help you. And one of my big questions is, why is it that when Jesus took people on an experience that led to education, we don't do that. We educate people and hope they have an experience. So what, do you, what can I help you understand? You don't need to know everything but take them on your experience. They're going to ask you questions, and you're going to be surprised how many things you do know. Don't focus on what you don't know. Focus on the things you do know. Secondly, whoops, there we go. We need to move beyond protection to proving. There's some sad stats that have come out uh, recently in the U.S., but first, let me say this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, go, he says. Who's he saying go to? Mainly to children. Most of these disciples were children. Some may have been over 20. There are some scholars, I don't buy into this, but some scholars think the youngest disciple was eight years old. I just say that just to recalibrate our minds to understand that most of them were teenagers, right? 
go. And he sends them to places like Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is built on a rock. And on the rock is the city. And below the rock is uh, the gates of Hades, which was um, like a water, a spring where the pagans believed the, the demons would rise up. And next to it was a temple where there were sexual practices with animals done in order to worship their gods. And Jesus takes his disciples, teenage boys, to this place. Imagine if you tried to do that nowadays. He takes them on experience. He says, upon this rock, the city, I will build my church. In other words, with these kind of people, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of Hades will not stand against it. Jesus takes people. Jesus takes people on experience. He's probably took you on an experience. Who can you take on an experience. Only 32% of Christian teens believe Jesus is active in the world today. Not 32% of, of teens, 32% of Christian teens believe that Jesus is active in the world today. Why? Because they don't experience it. Only 32 perhaps have seen it. The rest have heard about it, but we've not taught them. We've brought them to church, and we've told them, we've given them the Bible studies, which is great, but have you take them, come with me and I'll show you how this works. Are you doing something where if God doesn't turn up, you're in trouble? But because you do something in faith where God has to turn up, he does turn up, and others you take can see it happen. Make your stories. We, have a, we do this with young people. This is Alex and his friends. They were in um, Kenya, and uh, they were homeless uh, they had no, nothing on their feet. They had fungus on their feet, actually. Uh, they, they had no schooling. They weren't going to school. Um, they had no parents. They had no homes, really. And uh, we were able to first rescue, yes, absolutely rescue them, took them to school. Um, our PACE teams got them into hospital and then got them to church. And some of them were recruited for the kingdom of God. And they gave their lives to Jesus. And what happened was that Alex decided he wanted to do what the people who led him to Jesus did. And so Alex became a PACE member. Uh, and then, and full-time, we trained him in youth ministry. And then he became a team leader. And then he discipled Faith and uh, this other young man, and he trained them in the things of God. And then Faith passed on what um, Alex passed on to them, to her disciples, and the thing multiplies, right? It becomes less about Alex and more about God's kingdom. Yeah. And how does that happen? Through the process of discipleship. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. We need to go beyond Sorry, this is, I always forget these slides. These are just some of the things that we're doing with the youth academies, young people. Our, our thing with young people is not simply to get them into church and protect them. It's to recruit them and tell them they could advance the kingdom of God. I've got so many stories about that I don't have time to tell. Right now we've got 1,000, this month, 1,172 students who are being trained actively, not just in how to have a nice Christian safe life, but how to advance the kingdom in their communities and in their schools and in their workplace. Finally, we need to go beyond answers to questions. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus was asked 300 questions, apparently, in his ministry, and he gave a straight answer to three, apparently. A straight answer to three. Jesus was asked, or Jesus asked, about 125 questions of others. Many of them were in response to questions he was being asked. Why is that? Well, I'm quite a simple person. I like visuals because I can't speak well. So um, I believe, you know, we have questions, right? We have questions. And we want to get to the answer as fast as we possibly can. But quite often our questions reveal to God something about the kingdom we don't understand yet. 
and it creates a knot. So we ask questions like, how often should I forgive someone? What's the answer? And God looks at our question and thinks, you don't understand, the, you don't understand grace yet. And the answer is not going to make any sense to you at all. So until you understand grace, you're never going to really get the answer. It'll just be religion to you. And so how does it do that? Well, some of you have got questions, and you still years and years later have never got the answer. Can I suggest a possible reason why? There was a lady, she went to Jerusalem. She went to see the sights, and afterwards she had such a wonderful time, she wanted to get a souvenir. And so what she did was she went to a souvenir shop, which was actually a photograph shop, Beautiful photos of Jerusalem. They were so amazing, she wasn't sure which one to get. So she went to the guy who sold them, who was a Jew, and said, hey, I don't know which one to get. Which one's your favorite? To which the man said to him, to her, sorry, are you married? And she's thinking, I don't know. It's my lucky day. I don't know what she's thinking. But she knows to ask a question back. She says, yes, I am married. He says, oh, good. Then she says, why are you asking? Because she asked to ask a question. He says, well, do you have children? And she says, yes, I, ha I, have, I have three children. And he says, great. Which one's your favorite? So what's he doing there? He's helping her feel what he feels about the photos, right? Because he could have just said something really quick and really easy. He could have just given an answer. Oh, they're like children to me. She'd have walked away with head knowledge. Instead, she walked away feeling what he felt about those photos. Sometimes we ask questions... And we're asking them for our purpose. And we don't understand the kingdom yet. And what God wants to do is get us to a place where we can feel what he feels. Do you feel what he feels for the lost? I mean, does it break your heart? Does it break your heart for the lost? Do you feel that? Or do you just like the ministry where you get to do stuff and they smile and they cry and they give you a hug and that's wonderful? But, but do you, do you, are you worried about giving God what he wants? He wants souls. And so if you begin to ask those questions, I believe for his purpose, we might see answers quicker than we expect. One of the things we need to understand in discipleship, therefore, is we don't need to know all the answers. We don't need to have great answers sometimes. We need to have great questions. Um, I was talking to someone, it was more about evangelism this time, but he was a family member, and he'd gone to a really bad church, and he was in a situation where he... Um, had said, well, I don't believe in God anymore. His problem was I didn't believe that he didn't believe. And so I said to him, well, let me ask you a question. Because I could have said, well, you know, you can't see the wind, but you can feel its effects, or you can't see electric, or whatever it might be. But instead, I asked him a question. And I said to him, listen, you've got some children that you absolutely love. You say you don't believe in God anymore. You're a complete atheist. Let me ask you a question. If one of them fell ill, seriously ill, would you pray? And before he could answer, his wife turned to him and said, you know you would. I helped him feel what God feels, right? About him and his family. And he admitted, yeah, okay, I probably still do believe. Just before I ask you some final questions and we pray, let me just um, offer a couple of next steps. Uh, one of them is just, uh, I'd suggest you might think about learning. How can I disciple I know yesterday when we did the masterclass, if it had been a masterclass on prophecy and everybody who attends gets a free prophecy, um, it had been packed out. But when it's on discipleship, giving God what he wants, you tend to get a smaller crowd. And we tend to be less intentional. So there are fuller books that will tell you how to live a more blessed life, 
But will you get a book? You don't have to my book, by the way. These books are online. You can get them online. We have some books at the info section. There are many great books on discipleship. You can go, will you invest in yourself for his purpose, not simply for your purpose? Secondly, um, maybe you'd be interested in sending people. Maybe you know some young adults, or maybe you, you have a place that you could speak to Christian young adults who might be interested in, in joining pays and coming on a, a free um, apprenticeship with us. We do a one, two, and three-year program. It's free to them. But maybe you could tell them. You can get some of these little flyers, these little cards, again, on the info desk. And that would be absolutely wonderful and helpful to us. Finally, you might be interested in giving. Um, uh, we have this Pays Youth Academy. You might be interested in sponsoring somewhere. I don't know a big thing about that. But if you're interested, if you moved on your heart, you can come and talk to us about the info desk. And that would be wonderful as well. But let's come back to you. Let's focus on you for a moment. And these three questions. What are you doing to advance God's kingdom? How are you doing it? Have you took the time to write those things down or to make a note of them or to, to think, how, I would, how would I pass this on? What are the principles and practices I need to pass on? And thirdly, who is it you're willing to disciple? Are you willing to take people on your journey? Let's pray, and I'm going to guide you through a little prayer, if that's okay. So what I'd like to do just this morning just, um, is for some of us just to take that next step um, I, would, I would say this, and I say this if, if I ever give an appeal. The Bible says it's better not to make a vow than to make a vow and break it. Uh, but I'm going to ask you to make a vow. And the vow to God is that you will move from being Christian-centric to kingdom-centric in the way you think about discipleship. That rather than just having a ministry, you'll think more about his mission and his ultimate goal. And that you would commit to taking other people on the journey. So I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer in a minute where you're committing to God to develop yourself in your what. Develop yourself in how to train and disciple other people. And when you're committing to God that you will disciple other people. If people come along your path, you will offer them the opportunity to go with you and produce more disciples. Teaching them what God has taught you. So I'm going to say the prayer. If you would like to agree with that prayer, just say amen, and you're making that commitment with me. Lord, I thank you for your goodness and for your love and for your kindness. I thank you you've made us unique. Lord, I thank you you love us no matter what we do. You love us. Lord, we're saved through what you did on the cross. But Lord, we want to go beyond just making sure we're safe and going to heaven one day. We want to give you something back, Lord. We want to give you what you most want, which is souls who don't know you to come to know you. And so, Lord, we, we commit to discipling others. Lord, we're, with different gifts, different abilities, different spiritual principles we know, Lord, we want to commit right now before you that we will say we will, one, develop ourselves. We will learn how to become better at discipleship. And, Lord, we will be willing from now on to make disciples in the things that you've taught us. We will look for ways of doing that. We don't know how yet. We don't know who yet. But we want to say right now, Lord, that we are willing to do that. Lord, this is our vow. In Jesus' name we make it. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. That's all from us here on our LRC podcast. If there's anything else you would like some more clarification on or you would like to take the next steps in your journey, then why not head over to our next steps page at londonriversidechurch.com forward slash next steps 
That's all from us here today and we hope you have an amazing week.